Blog Talk Radio.
your name father we thank you so much for helping us to be able to endure the days that we're in right now it, it is only through your grace and only through your your tenacity father that we just that we, we are able to look back upon the things that are happening in our lives and and really be able to you know while we don't you know like to go through hard times while we don't like to have that thorn thorn in the flesh you know shoved in deeper and turned real hard and then being told that our, our, you know your grace is sufficient father we know you we, we love you and we thank you we praise you for your grace because if it wasn't for our, your grace we really you know that so many of us would just look at our lives look at you know everything we've done wrong over all of the years the devil would beat us down we wouldn't ever feel worthy to and or hopeful and we want to be the tax collector we want to have we want to be uh you know the be attitudes we don't just want to read about them but we want to actually be them and um i think many of us have been brought through our trials and tribulations to a place where we have a contrite spirit and you're continuing to do do a uh greater work in each of us but father i just want to thank you so very much for um the recent lesson that I was able to share on the prayer vigil this last Friday, um, because for me, it was it was a big deal. It doesn't mean that I'm going to pass the test. It doesn't mean I'm going to do any better. I hope that it does. Um, I expect that uh, as the uh, thorn, you know, if the thorn needs to be pushed in a little bit deeper, then so be it. Um, I just pray, Father, in Jesus' name, maybe, that I'll be able to do a little bit better in passing those tests and um, being able to more gracefully endure the um, the trials and the tribulations uh, in their greatest of intensity uh, in a graceful manner. Uh, and each of us are going through the hard times that we're going through now. Some of us maybe more or less. It's okay. Some of us maybe have uh, gone through really, really crummy 
super horrible times. A few years ago when we're on the recovery or are on the up and up, but Father, we just thank you because we, you know, when we take a second look at that thorn in the flesh story, when we take a second look or a third look or a fourth look or a fifth look or a sixth look at Second Corinthians, I believe it starts right around verse 7. Father, we, you know, we, we have to ask ourselves, here's the Apostle Paul pleading three times, and what does that mean to plead? And, and, and how much of that emotional, uh, how emotional was that event for him seeking you three times, pleading? What does pleading mean? Okay, was he in tears? Did he do this all in 15 minutes, or was this something that was spread out over a month or longer? And when he came to you, was he in tears? How 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 was he in heaving tears, begging you, beseeching you to remove this this messenger of Satan from him, so that he wouldn't develop pride, and that ultimately you, Father, would be through your loving kindness, your tender mercies, and your ability to see what the expected end is that you wish to bring each of us to in all of eternity and under, and to also understand that without that thorn in the flesh Paul probably wouldn't have qualified uh, for the glorious rewards that you had lined up for him in Mount Zion. And Father, we just want to be able to embrace these these uh, revolutionary dynamics. And I say revolutionary in the sense that it goes beyond just the first level of mystery under, you know, the understanding of the mysteries of Paul's torn in the flesh, but it takes us to a whole nother level to be able to look back on the things that we're going through in our lives. Each of us have a custom uh, you know, Himalayan journey that we got to make, um, hills that they don't seem to get smaller. They seem to get, indeed, they do. They really do seem to get bigger. Uh, and, and I can't even imagine how awful many of our lives would be if it wasn't for us praying for one another and calling down uh, your holy fire, your divine protection, the protection of the angels, and 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 uh, put, putting up not only the defenses but the offensive maneuvers in the spiritual warfare, uh, whereby we you know are able to navigate these remarkably difficult um, phases of our lives. As I believe, we are being. Uh, refined at the, we'll just call it the final phase of refinement. Looking at the things that are happening in the Middle East, Father, looking at the things that are, uh, you know, how close all the experts say that we are to World War III breaking out, which will clearly be the last war, with the exception of Armageddon, which is, you know, down the road at, toward the end of the Great Tribulation, three and a half years later. But, Father, right now, looking at what we're looking at now, we're looking at the Bible, seeing, you know, Luke 21, verse 20, literally jumping off the page. Now, granted, granted, it hasn't gotten quite to that point yet. And we do know historically, Father, that these things have a tendency, a tendency to drag on. Uh, the so-called series Ward has been in has been technically in place since 2011. We're on our 19th month of the Ukrainian conflict, and now we have this Middle Eastern dynamic that uh, 
Well, it's very, very slowly, like molasses, like a kind of Brea tar pit, moving forward, but not stopping. It's not stopping. The increase, the meetings that are occurring between, uh, you know, as the Bible would put it, the Moabites and the Amorites and the, and the Persians and the Philistines and whoever else is involved. Oh, Father God, we just praise you for helping us to have the eyes to be able to see, knowing that, and also knowing that we shouldn't be falling into a state, you know, that we got to really embrace that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are to keep our mind stayed on things above, not on things of this world, that if we are friends with the earth, we are at enmity with you, that we are supposed to be walking in the spirit, that we're supposed to be putting on Christ, the Greek word being in duo, like a, like a robe, and that, and that we, we are distanced through holiness from all the things that are happening on the earth and nothing more than as what you warned us or, or admonished us in your scripture. We are here to watch and pray, but we're not really called to be involved in these things or to really even to, to be getting, especially in when it has to do with anything, any subject that could cause, uh, you know, division amongst the brethren. Um, that's just not, that's not us anymore. And we praise you for that. We praise you for lifting us up through the walk of sanctification and through uh, the various trials that are to try us. We are little by little are beginning to realize that even though the things we are going through right now, some of us are. Now, if you're not going through them, if, if there are those out there that are not, Father, going through them yet, we just pray that, uh, you know, we don't want bad things to happen to people, Father, but we don't want a single listener of this program to be left behind. We don't want a single listener of this program miss out on the opportunity to be part of your first fruits, the barley harvest. The first watch, Luke 12, 35, 36, 37. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we don't want anybody to have to suffer the horrors of being thrown into FEMA camps, uh, having CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, locking down their bank accounts, being subject to social credit scores and not being able to ride uh, even in a car to get to work, losing their jobs, uh, having their houses lost, not being able to even code key into the, your, your whatever kind of a dwelling place you're forced to live in the horrible things that are happening in china right now the horrible things that are happening in brazil right now we see like it like it like a steadily metastasizing cancer the increase of the darkness across this world while all of our eyes i don't want to say all of our eyes but let's just say that the vast majority of our christian brothers and sisters eyes are are steadfast on the things that are happening in the middle east which is a wonderful distraction for saints to be able to take his global satanic crime syndicate and continue to roll forward the 2030 global reset agenda, which I personally believe and could definitely be wrong, is ultimately the target of the Great Tribulation, the wrath period of our Heavenly Father. And we just praise you, Lord. We know that these entities think they're going to pull it off. We know the priest of all story, Father God. We understand that you inject judgment judgments into timelines that they might otherwise think that they have control control over and that um, and that's just the dynamics that are in play right now and we cannot predict anything except that you love us and that our own individual trials and tribulations the difficulties that we're going through that are that, that where there are days where we truly believe with all of our heart gushing tears flowing 
flowing from our eyes that we cannot endure another moment, that we cannot wake up and face one more Monday. And through your grace and the encouragement of helping us to understand that these things are very, very likely happening to us, not because we're not examining ourselves, 1 Corinthians 11.28, not because we're not judging ourselves and our behaviors, 1 Corinthians 11.31 and 32, but because you're refining us. You're giving us each our own thorn, and you're going to make sure you bring us right to where we were supposed to be when you wrote this in our books in Psalm 139.16. And now to him, our Lord Jesus, who's able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless someday, O Father, right there in front of your glory with exceeding joy. And to you, Father God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, did it again. Uh, 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 hey, stop. I can't stop it. It's out of control. He wants to sing the Hebrew Kaddish really, really bad. But I was able to overcome. Yay! This is the one I want. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, the next thing that could happen is I get a blue screen and I have to re-log into the system, folks. You would not believe stuff's just blowing up all around me right now. All right, here's the one I want. Hallelujah. Here we go.
Well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hopefully, Sister Vera is doing okay. I know she's been going through some rough, bumpy times. Uh, But anyway, thank you, Brother Justin, for helping me out with the sound check. It's always nice to know that I'm not talking to a bag of air out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, which, by the way, I, uh, you know, I'm always pleased as peaches to share the time that I did an entire uh, two and a half plus hour prayer vigil, and not a single, not a microsecond of it got recorded or made it over the airwaves. And there I was thinking, oh, this is all whatever, you know. But anyway, so goes it. All right. So anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We are, um, you know, continuing ahead in our journey. Um, I really believe, um, like I had mentioned on the prayer vigil, now we did, you know, we took communion and we did some prayer for some folks. So the last hour was very prayer vigily. Uh, but the first part of it was me explaining something that the Lord had impressed upon me as I was talking to so many people. The list is kind of large. And they were explaining to me their own version of, uh, really, 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 really bad times here on earth that they're going through. Uh, sometimes they're caused by spouses. Sometimes they're caused by all kinds of horrible things in their lives. Beatings, um, abuse, just, oh my goodness, just a list of just some of the most ugly, horrible things you would ever want to think about. And, uh, and uh, you know, now, of course, my stuff, my um, uh, stuff that I'm going through is all job related, and that's fine. Um, but um, it doesn't matter. You know, God is going to take wherever you are in your walk. He's going to take the people around you, okay, your moms and your dads and your, you know, and, and, and you, sometimes your children or whatever the case, or your job situation, if that's the one. But that's where our Heavenly Father gets the opportunity to do like he did with Paul and allow, you know, the, uh, as, as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians twelve seven. Uh, as Paul put it, you know, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And and the best, you know, example I can use for the word buffet is when you're practicing boxing and you've got that, you know, uh, that ball that hangs down from the ceiling and you go, you know, anyway, so um, Paul, you know, pleaded not once, but twice and three times. But, you know, you're seeing it after the fact. That's the problem. He's already calmed down. The tears are wiped from his eyes. It could have happened months earlier, and he's writing it from his memory, right? So we're not really getting any kind of an emotional human transfer from the text of the Bible. We're just having his rendition shared. And then it's up to us to take, you know, to turn it into applied Christianity and start asking the tough questions like if he was pleading with God, He didn't say to beseech him, he didn't say to supplicate, and he didn't say to pray. He said he pleaded with God three times. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty heavy-duty stuff, you know? So, and, and again, well, anyway, so my point was, what happened with Solomon? Solomon never got a thorn in the flesh. And what did he do? He apostatized. So where would he be now? In hell, right? So, you know, I don't understand. None of us will ever completely understand his story, our father's story, why 
all these things, you know, maybe, maybe when we get there, we'll get some sort of supernatural impartation into our spirit and we'll all become all knowing. I've heard, I've heard different renditions from different people that have been taken to heaven. Some people will give you the impression that you just get this all-knowing download from Mr. Spock or something, and he just gives you a look, look and mind grip, and all of a sudden you know everything. Um, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. Um, I, I have uh, been studying testimonies of people that have been taken to heaven and read many, many books. And um, the vast majority of the most credible stories are the ones which support the fact that we go through a lot of training when we're there, which, by the way, is also covered in quite a bit of depth uh, in Odin Hetrick's testimony, where he was actually taken downstairs inside of his city mansion because he was blessed with a city mansion and a country mansion, which is like super cool. And in his city mansion, he was taken downstairs where God wanted him to learn about two alien beings. Okay. It was a man. It was a female and a male alien being standing in a room and it freaked him out. It He was straight up about it in his testimony. He was like, I was like freaked out. He was like, Spirit of God, take me out of here. I don't belong here. And Spirit of God said, you're not leaving until you learn your lesson. So why would we have to learn lessons on how to deal with alien species and life forms? Oh, yeah, ruling and reigning with Jesus over all of creation. Boy, it just, it, man, you know, when you, when you, when, you when, when we get the cobwebs of traditional churchianity, you know, out of our heads, and we flush that away, and we look at it again through a fresh set of eyes combined with the testimonies of those who've been taken to heaven— over hopefully lots of it. You know, you don't just want to read one person. You want to read 10 people. You want to read as much as you can. You want to hear as many testimonies as you can. So you can correlate and and, and figure out which things are repeated the most. The ones that are, are repeated the most are the ones that, you know, can, that's the one, that's the stuff I lean to. I've also noted something else, although I don't want to, I don't want to make this sound like it's a requirement because that would be not fair. It would be false. I don't even want to imply it. I will simply say this. In in the dozen, more than a dozen people, or I don't know how many, that I have studied either through live testimony or reading a book or both, and sometimes I would have a conversation with them in person for four hours even before the show started or after the show. And in those cases, I can tell you that um, the ones that were taken to hell first and then to heaven, those are the ones like Angelica Zambrano that I revere. Now, I don't know that Odin Hedrick was taken to hell, so I don't think that that in any way discredits his testimony at all. But if I'm going to compare two people's testimonies and there's a conflict and one of them wasn't taken to hell and one of them was, I'm going with the one that was taken to hell first. There's reasons for that, but I'm not going to name names because I'm not allowed and neither are any of us. Judge not that ye be judged. All right. Now, that I'm not going to get into all that stuff. Look, we just need to focus on getting out of here. I have people, I love them to death. I just want to hug them until their heads pop off. I love them. 
But people will like to people love to get into conversations, deep conversations about well, what about this? What about that? This you know could this be the cause of that? You know, bold judgment or vile judgment and stuff. I'm going to be perfectly frank. I mean, you know, I find that stuff interesting. I have read Revelation. I don't even know how many gazillions of times, in different contexts, in different manners, and different ways. The Lord has shown me some amazing stuff. But this is like over 12 years of time. It's a lot of different stuff, and then also text part of the text from other parts of the Bible that correlate to it, that pull it all together, you know, and give it harmony. So anyway, um, uh, but I, that doesn't mean I'm all-knowing. You know, if anyone thinks they know anything, they know nothing yet, as they ought to know. First Corinthians 8, 2, we need to embrace that. We are always going to have a substantial margin of error. The second that you put your foot down, the second – I've been told by so many people, I, you know, not, not a lot, but I've had people tell me, Johnny, you've got to write a book. Well, I don't want to. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because at the point that you put it on paper, you feel inclined to defend it. I don't ever want to be in that place. I had to take some BP meds for the show a couple hours ago, and they're making me real thirsty. But whatever. The point is I don't want to be in a place where I have to defend Chapter 2. Well, you said in chapter two, the third paragraph, that blankety blank, 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 blank. Well, you know, and now you're saying something entirely different. And I'm like, on. And I don't want to also, the other thing is, I don't want to write like 20 revisions. Forget that noise. I want to serve the Lord. I want to prepare. Look, look, I've mentioned this before. For what it's worth, maybe it's not worth anything to you. Maybe it's worth something to you. Maybe it means a lot to you. I don't know. But I will say this. I have spent a large portion of my career analyzing threats. Which one's the most probable? Which one has the greatest likelihood? Which one will have the most impact if it hits? If you have two threats that are highly probable, highly likely, but the impact if they occur is very low, then wouldn't you rather look at the one? that has the lower probability, the lower likelihood, but the impact is fantastic? It's humongous? Of course you would. So threat analysis is takes a little bit of an art. You have to be able to think of things, you know, with critical thinking skills from seven different directions. You know, how would Lucifer look at this? How would God look at this? How would Jesus look at this? How would you look at this? How would your mom look at this? How would the little kids look at this? How would the next generation, if there is even going to be one, look at this? I mean, you know, you got to really be able to spin it around and look at it from all the different... And then things start to fall together, and it gets very, very interesting. But anyway, praise God. One of the challenges that I was having is... I knew that God wanted me to take my new job. It was gushing and overflowing with supernatural events that occurred. But then after getting it, I'm like going, man, this is, this is horrible. I need to get out of here. So, but then I started having these conversations with this person and that person and this person over in Europe and that person over in Belgium and that person over here. And, you know, and I'm like, going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a common theme occurring here. They're all going through their own version of hell on earth. Now, now that's a little bit of an overstatement for anybody who's listened to, you know, Rob Weiss, you know, 23 minutes in hell. But I'm just saying from a colloquialism standpoint, they're going through tribulations that are on a magnitude, on a scale of 1 to 10, they're like a magnitude of 29. 
really bad stuff. You know, fall to the ground, bawling, heaving, crying, world is over, can't take it, don't want to wake up. If I could, I'd kill myself, that kind of stuff. Bad stuff, really bad stuff. And then I thought, wait a minute, okay, there's a commonality. I'm seeing a pattern unfolding here. Now, does that not, does that mean, like, can I not name some names of people that I communicate with on a regular basis that are having a great, they're living a great life? They've already gone through their hell, okay? You know, and they're just playing with cats and dogs and kitties and whatever and waiting for Jesus to come. Are there those out there? Yes, there are. Absolutely. Does that mean that they're bad or they're not going to make the barley? No, it doesn't. God is the only one that can decide who you are, where you are, what you have to deal with, what's around you, your environment, how the environment's going to change as things move forward. The people who live in this town are not going to experience the same bad portfolio of ugly that the people who live over in this town. So God's going to customize each one of our thorns. We're not all going to have the same thorns in the flesh. But the cool thing about it is when you look at it from an eternal standpoint, Paul's pretty clear that he would have been full of pride if it wasn't for that thorn. And I'm pretty sure that he would not be in the gorgeous, amazing place that God has him now in Mount Zion, almost assuredly with a straight view from his back veranda directly into the throne room of God. If God had not allowed that thorn in the flesh to stay with Paul, because God knew Paul had a proclivity to get prideful. Yeah. So he said, my grace is sufficient for you, so buck up and deal with it, which meant that Paul went through the rest of his life, arguably, I don't know, we don't have confirmation, but seems like, with that thorn. Could our thorns, those of us who are have like really, really bad thorns right now, could they be as bad as they are because God needs to keep us on our knees? Could we be that close to leaving and not even realize it? And my answer to you would be yes, we could. And if God intends to bring us to that, inspect, that expected end, that Psalm 139.16 written in your books, it may be absolutely imperative that we're all rushing to him seeking him on our knees, immersed in praise, worship, and trust. Trust is huge. Trust is huge. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts you. Isaiah 26, 3. Praise God. And on that note, let's go ahead and... Have some Thanksgiving jokes for the kids. How about that, kids? Let's do that. Sounds like fun to me. Hmm. Oh, yeah, speaking of Thanksgiving, i got to make a quick announcement here. All right. 
The Wednesday show is going to be a, another one of those really nifty blasts from the past. I may go back into 2012, 2013, whatever. And the reason for that is it's simple. It's not because I'm, you know, it's because that you know, here at the Johnny Baptist house, and if I don't, uh, I don't want to let my mind scatter, but I, I'm going to stay focused. I've had people ask me all kinds of questions. I'm just going to go, cut right to the chase. For the better part of approximately 30 years, I have been cooking Thanksgiving from scratch. So Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme is not a song to me. All right? Everything is from scratch. Now, I will say this. The one area that I decided to start cheating in was I... It was making my own stuffing stuff. Okay, so I now I'm actually grabbing the bags of the Pepperidge Farm stuffing as a cheat because having to dry out the bread and put it in the stove and break it all into pieces was – it was a lot of work for a whole lot of – it just didn't have as a payoff that it needed to have. The effort to deliciousness ratio was not there. But anyway, everything else is uh, scratch. I mean, I I dice up real parsley and sage and rosemary and thyme. I'm I'm actually one of those geeky guys that can look at thyme. I could look at I could look at thyme from across the room, growing in a little planter, and tell you that's thyme, that's sage, that's rosemary. I know. Um, it's just you know. So anyway, uh, and uh, it's it's a big it's a big big menu. Um. I just wish I knew where more homeless people. I haven't been able to spot. Well, I don't leave the house much anymore, so maybe that's part of it. I'll dump it all on my daughter and see if she can find some folks to give, you know, the food to whatever they don't want to keep. But um, there'll be a Kunstler ham. Now, I used to think all hams were created the same, and I'm here to tell you that a Pennsylvania Dutch ham cannot be topped. And until you've had a Pennsylvania Dutch ham like a Kunstler, touch your palate. You do not know what I'm talking about, and you will not appreciate what I am saying. But I can tell you, it is absolutely astonishing, the flavor. There will be a Kunstler ham. It may not be especially large, but it will be more than enough. A big turkey. I'm going to make um, my stuffing. The stuffing that I make is, of course, with uh, the juices from the turkey that cooks overnight at 200 degrees. I cook it overnight. So I put it in the oven at 200 degrees the night before. In a bag, did with a turkey injector, with a brine, which I create out of um, Old Bay seasoning. I mix up Old Bay seasoning, very, very strong mixture of Old Bay, into about, oh, goodness gracious, about two cups of water. And I inject it all over the turkey, upside down, inside the bag. And then I close the bag, put it in the roaster, stick it in the oven at 7 o'clock the night before, set it at 200 degrees on, uh, uh, in, in the oven uh, on confection. And it just cooks overnight. The next day, it's, it's, it's like stewed turkey. It is the most tender, flavorful turkey you could ever possibly have. I don't go for the show. I could care less about carving a turkey. There's no way you can't carve a turkey in my Thanksgiving. It's not, it's not possible, folks. It's not. Too much food, not enough real estate. Fortunately, I have one of those really big kitchen bar things, and um, 
it because along with the turkey and the ham, there's also um, uh, you know the stuffing, which of course has diced uh, red and green bell peppers. It has macadamias and it has parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme in it. It has um, onions. Oh, I just realized I forgot onions. Damn it! I'm gonna have to hold on a second. I just, I just, I just can't believe it. That's all right. Amazon Fresh will drop it off tomorrow first thing. Okay, doggone it! Can't believe I forgot onions. Um. Anyway, so got the stuffing. Then uh, there's yams, and of course I just, I just douse them in Mrs. Buttersworth and boil those. You know, cut them down to chunks and then boil those on the stove until they're tender. That's good enough for me. I don't need to make any funky pies and marshmallows and all that. I don't need that. Um, The uh, mashed potatoes are mixed with turnips, so it's like a garlic turnip mash. Really fabulous. Um, Also, I made this up one year, and it stuck. Everybody absolutely loved it, and even people who hate Brussels sprouts gush over it. They, They just absolutely love it. And I called it, I, you know, of course, you know, just tongue in cheek, I called it Brussels sprouts au gratin almondine. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, I worked for five years at a very fancy restaurant, and I learned that they give fancy names to things that are quite simple and then charge you a fortune for them. So I thought, okay. But basically all you do is I bought a big stack of 9 by 13 shallow 9 by 13 foil pans. And I put everything in there, and all you do is you just put, toss the Brussels sprouts. Now, now this year I got fresh Brussels, little bit of Brussels sprouts. Anyway, I've got to blanch them because they're fresh. Otherwise, they won't cook right. And then put them in the pan, and then you take Velveeta Sharp is the ideal. That's the best one that you want to use if you can get it. And you chop it up into these little squares, these cubes, and you intermingle it amongst all of the Brussels sprouts. And then you take almonds and you shake, you know, sliced almonds, and you shake it over the top of it. And then you cover it with a foil tent. And then you make the uh, corn pudding. Now, the corn pudding is really easy. You just take a bunch of frozen corn. Where are you going to get fresh, right? So you take a bunch of frozen corn, put it into a big mixing bowl. You dump in a can of Eagle sweetened condensed milk, and then you add about eh, half a dozen uh, uh, eggs. And what you ought to do, though, is you take the uh, Eagle sweetened condensed milk and half a dozen eggs, and you beat them until they're all fluffy and, you know, frothy. And then you pour that over the top of the corn, okay? And, of course, add a little bit of salt and everything like that. And put yourself a uh, foil tent over that, and you have some of the most fabulous corn pudding. Watch out, though. Corn pudding takes longer to cook than everything else. So just pay everything revolves around the finishing of the corn pudding. And be careful because the corn pudding can get dry on you really fast. So it's really tricky. It's almost like doing a custard, and you want the center of it to be a little wiggly when you take it out because it keeps on cooking, if you know what I'm talking about. There's so many other things I'm not even mentioning. I don't have time to mention. It'll turn into a gigantic cooking show. Next thing you know, I'll have Martha Stewart showing up in the Golden JIB studios, which I don't want. Anyway, but anyway, you sort of get the idea. There's basically about 12... 
uh, major courses. Green beans will be cooked in uh, browned butter, so they'll be sautéed on the top of the stove, real, you know, fresh snap, just snapped green beans in uh, browned butter uh, and uh, walnuts, full-size walnuts, and you just, you know, sauté them and uh, in the brown butter, and you, oh, there was, oh. Boy, that is so good. <laughs> like amazing. The only thing I'm not making this year is I'm not going to make the um, the um, oh goodness gracious, what is it called? It's it's a uh, made from scratch cheesecake, um, and basically it is a uh, pecan praline. Um, uh, pumpkin. Pecan praline pumpkin cheesecake, okay? That's what it is. So it's basically a pumpkin cheesecake, but it's covered over the top with a pecan praline covering that's that's got a little bit of cinnamon and everything else. And it almost turns into like a candy on top of the actual pumpkin cheesecake. And let me tell you something. If you're one of those people that have a hard time gaining weight, your problems are over. <laughs> make this recipe your problems are over anyway praise god um uh so kids kids what did the turkey go around saying before thanksgiving quack quack <laughs> right kids here's the turkeys walking. hey kids here's the turkeys walking around uh you know right before thanksgiving you know trying to you know masquerade as uh Anything but a turkey, right? Hey, get away from me. All right. Stop that. Okay, so kids. All right, kids. Why is corn so popular on Thanksgiving? Because it's amazing. Any history fans out there? Come on, kids. Amazing corn. Yeah. Right on. Hallelujah. All right, kids, what do you call turkey on the day after Thanksgiving? Lucky. (laughs) That is if the turkey can hear you. Very good. Kids, what did the salt and pepper shaker say to welcome their guests? Season's greetings. You know, salt and pepper, season's, all that kind of stuff. Kids, what do you get when you cross a turkey with an octopus? Enough drumsticks for everybody. (laughs) Kids, what do you think? Oh, man, you guys are hungry. No Brandy Alexanders for you, though. Get away from that stuff. I know you're going to see the ice cream. You'll be hanging around salivate. Okay, what sound does the limping turkey make? Wobble, 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 wobble. Wobbly turkey. Kids, come on. Wobbly turkeys are good. And last but not least, what happens when a turkey, uh, I'm sorry, what happened when a turkey got in a fight? He got the stuffing knocked out of him. (laughs) I don't even put the stuffing inside the turkey. Everybody likes to stick the stuffing inside the turkey. I'm just like... It doesn't change the flavor. It's like an extra work for nothing. I don't know. I don't get that whole thing. But anyway, whatever. That's just me. I'm wacky like that. All right. Now, let's go ahead and, and I'm looking, watching the time. I'm, okay, we got enough time. I'm going to play this. 
This is very important. All right, this is Colonel Douglas McGregor again expounding on the situation over in the Middle East. While we're all being distracted by all the false information and the people jumping for joy and thinking one thing or thinking another, I don't like I said, I really just I'm just waiting for World War Three to start. I am waiting for our departure. I am one hundred percent focused. One hundred percent focused on the barley harvest. And boy, let me tell you something. I can smell the wedding supper cooking, and I'm not talking about Thanksgiving either. We are close, real close. All right, this is Colonel Douglas McGregor making a commentary on the situation over there right now. And by the way, this is kind of long, so hang in there. So my wife got me this weird new kitchen. Doggone commercials. God, I love her. Here we go. Secret plans drawn up to send 500,000 Palestinians to Canada, the Trudeau government. Well, 500,000 to Ireland, to the United Kingdom. I'm sure the Biden administration is making plans right now to have New York filled with Palestinians. So I think you were right about this. Uh, Have we failed to protect Israel from itself? Oh, absolutely. Uh, No one is intervening to do that. On the contrary, I would compare this to the so-called blank check that was issued by the Kaiser to Vienna regarding the invasion of Serbia. That was really what, what sparked the, the, second, or the First World War. We've given Netanyahu a blank check and said, <clears throat> by all means, go for it. Now, there are people in Washington inside the White House who are afraid. What they've done is effectively open the cage door and release the tiger. The tiger doesn't want to get back in the cage. The tiger wants to finish off everybody in the neighborhood. The tiger is Netanyahu, and he has concluded this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Secret plans drawn we have the- enormous control and influence over the United States, over its armed forces, its military power, its economic power, because the Israeli economy is being destroyed. Israel Israel's in bad shape economically as a result of this war, but we can compensate for that. How do we compensate? We send billions of dollars over there to keep Israel afloat. So he says this is the perfect time for us to settle accounts. We'll wipe everybody out. There's a certain amount of arrogance assuming that no one in the region can act against us. And if they do, well, we have the United States. Of course, no one bothered to ask, is it in the interest of the United States to be drawn into a regional war that would involve the Turks, the Iranians, as well as all of the Arab states? I don't think it is. But when you bring that up, people scoff and say, oh, that could never happen. The Shiites hate the Sunnis. The Turks and the Iranians will never cooperate. Uh, The Arabs have always been poor at organizing and cooperating. Uh, Egypt has nowhere else to go. They need us. They're not going to abandon us. And and frankly speaking, the keystone in the edifice of peace in the region is really Egypt. Egypt has maintained an excellent set of relations with Israel for 50 years. If Egypt defects, and that's not impossible because right now in the streets in Cairo, my contacts over there tell me that People are saying that Sisi is a tool of Israel, that he's somehow or another either an American or an Israeli puppet. Well, that's bad news for Mr. Sisi, the general, if he wants to stay in charge. Remember, the Muslim Brotherhood took over in Egypt under Obama. He went there and congratulated every Mr. Morsi was the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, they were thrown out by a coup, and we all welcomed that because we were worried what that meant for Egypt. Well, remember that Hamas is an armed wing of the Muslim Brotherhood. Remember that Mr. Erdogan is the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood in the Middle East and in North America. All of these things begin to fall together, the pieces. 
And you have this understanding in Iran and Turkey that while they don't like each other and they disagree on things, they're not going to go to war with each other because they understand how pointless and destructive that is. But when it comes to Israel, they can agree. They don't like it. They don't think it should exist. And they're fed up and they're disgusted because we have failed to exercise restraint. We haven't restrained the Israelis. And you're not going to see anything happen in Washington. Everyone is. They're all bought and sold. It seems like. It seems like they've got some dirt on like every member of Congress or something. They really seem to be in the tank, no matter what what the cost for Israel. Well, remember the lobby, the lobby, and you know Professor Mearsheimer and uh, his colleague wrote a book, Walks, about the Israel lobby. One of the things that people don't understand is that that lobby, and they're not the only ones, by the way. There are other lobbies that operate this way. The pharmaceutical lobbies do business this way. The defense lobbies are similar. We want to support you. Congressman so-and-so, Senator so-and-so, we'd like to give you this money that will go into your political action committee to help reelect you. But if you're not going to support us, well, we'll just go over here to your opponent and he'll get all the money. And so you're in a tough position sitting on the Hill. Everyone worries in Congress all the time about reelection. Senators are there for six years. It's a different kettle of fish. But if you're only there for two years, you spend probably 50% of your time or more trying to beef up your re-election campaign because the next thing you know, it's re-election time. So they never really stop campaigning and they never really stop hunting for money. All right. So anyway, that's a real good summary. Uh, it goes on for quite a while, but I think that really covers, uh, you know, comprehensively uh, a lot of the dynamics that are in play right now. And, um, all we can do is, you know, we, we, we do what we're asked to do by our Lord Jesus. Watch and pray. And by the way, it's always good. I say this with the greatest of, you know, as somebody who's been wrong more than most. Um, don't get too wrapped up in things. You know, let it go. Stay focused. Draw in closer. Take advantage of this time to make Jesus Jesus has to be your first love. You've got to be gushing with love for him. You've got to fall in love with him. Pray, seek him, set aside that extra time, trust him. I don't care how bad. I mean, I do care, but I don't, you know, I'm going through bad stuff. Lots of people are going through some unbelievable, horrible, horrible, horrible things. And you know what? We got to get to that place where we just totally hand it over to Jesus. Lay it down at our Father's feet. Trust Him. Let it go. And you know what? It's not going to be so bad. Fill your life with praise and prayer, and these days will go by faster than you think. And then before you know it, you'll be like, oh no, that Johnny Baptist is firing peas at me. (laughs) I, I told one of the listeners, I said, I want you to sit nearby me at the wedding supper so I can you know, toss some peas over your way. <laughs> Praise God. All right. Now this is very important. I'm going to, I'm taking a look at the time. I want to watch my time. All right. This is very important. This is Dr. Walter Weiss. I have mentioned him quite a few times. Let me quote the occult world directly. Now. All right. Now, before I go on, one of the remarkable strengths of Dr. Walter Weiss, he's a great Christian great Christian, well, one of his strengths is that he has analyzed, sort of like Tom Horn, um, 
the occult world, the dark world, and he looks at what they think they're going to do and what they've been planning over the last several hundred years, etc. And then he maps it back to the Bible. He maps it to empirical information, very much like Tom Horn, that kind of thing. So here he's making a commentary on what was written in the 1950s, and thank you, Stephanie, for sending this over, um, uh, Alice A. Bailey. And, so, and she was like head of this organization. It used to be called Lucifer Trust, but then they called Lucist, Lucist Trust. They're all a bunch of sick, twisted, evil, baby-killing, adrenochrome, whatever. But anyway... What she says, now now keep in mind about the Giuseppe Messini letter from Albert Pike and how it nailed the third world. That was written in 1871, right? And now we're seeing all this stuff happening exactly like that letter. Wow. Just the fact that I read that letter on the Internet over 12 years ago, to see these things actually happening worldwide, even if the letter wasn't authentic, it would be an amazing prophetic piece of work. And we know that it is because we have sources that have told us so over the years, and praise God for that. So this is Dr. Walter Weiss commenting on Alice A. Bailey, 2025 Hierarchy Will Manifest. What is this hierarchy? Who are they? Does it include the Antichrist? Does it include the false prophet? Let's take a quick listen to this. Alice A. Bailey. 2025 hierarchy will manifest itself. Now, this is interesting. Now, Alice A. Bailey is basically the prophetess for the United Nations. Yes. She is the one that followed Blavatsky. Now, when I was still involved in all of these things, I was pertinently told by one of the highest channels in the world, that if you are a student of Blavatsky, then you have arrived. Yes. This is a personal experience. And uh, Alice A. Bailey, of course, Temple of Understanding and all of these things in the United Nations, they, they are schooled. The whole education system is schooled on Alice A. Bailey. Let's have a look at this quote. It comes from a book, The Externalization of the Hierarchy. We must explain who the hierarchy is. Mm -hmm. The hierarchy are those spiritual master Master. entities that run the world from behind the scenes. This is a reality in the thinking of the United Nations, right? Correct. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it as an official organization affiliated to the United Nations. Yes. And uh, this hierarchy if you know your Bible, is of course a demonic hierarchy. These are demons communicating with humanity. This is what it is. Now, we can look at the publisher. It was written in 1957, and it's Lucis Trust, which originally... All right, so to speed things up a little bit, because he goes into the weeds a little, I'm just going to read, listen to this. He said, this, this writing, this excerpt that he pulled out, says thus, A great and new movement is, remember, this is written in the 50s. Okay, 50s. I think it's 57 or something. 
Thus, a great and new movement is proceeding and will tremendously increase the interplay and interaction is, uh, is taking place. In other words, it, things are going to bubble up and get crazy. It goes on to say, this will go on until A.D. 2025. So here we have this again, another dynamic where a Satanist who knows they're not even going to be alive is writing this stuff into a book many, many decades. I mean, you know, look, I mean, just do the math. Wow. So it says this will go on until AD 2025. This was penned by Bailey in 1957 is my understanding. Now, 2030 is supposed to be the global reset. We got General Wesley Clark, Colonel Douglas McGregor, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, and a whole plethora of other experts out there that are stating that they do not believe that we will go in. They believe that we will go into a live war, a hot war, before the 2024 election. You're putting this together? Because at that point, all heck's going to break loose. Civil war is going to break out, and they're going to go into martial law, and they're going to lock everything down and start taking people away. 2025, right here in this document. It goes, says, during the years intervening between now and then will be great changes that will be seen taking place in the great general assembly of the hierarchy. This is talking about the Global Satanic Crime Syndicate, all the way up to the House of Windsor and even higher. Held as usual every century, in 2025, the date in all probability will be set for the first stage of the externalization of the hierarchy. In other words, we're going to come out of the darkness where we've all been hiding, and we're going to come out and say... We're the ones who run the show. So we're going to have a whole bunch more, uh, you know, uh, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, Darth Vader creatures coming out of the pit. Like we need that, like we need a hole in our head. That's why I believe with all of my heart, the likelihood that we will be departed by them is pretty high. But we'll have to wait and see, right? It goes on to say the present cycle from now until that date is called technically the stage of the forerunner. It is preparatory in nature and tests in, uh, tested in its methods and intended to be revelatory in its techniques and results. You can see, therefore, that the Kohans masters and initiates and disciples uh, and disciples uh, as aspirants affiliated with the hierarchy are all at this time passing through a cycle of great activity. Translated, what that means is all the creepy creatures that are in all these secret societies are all getting excited and preparing with our very kind and considerate World Economic Forum. You will eat Z-bugs, people. Oh, and of course, social, you know, and CDBDCs, and it's just never-ending. Anyway, praise God. I just wanted to go ahead and share that with you. If you want to find it and listen to the whole thing up on uh, YouTube, just search for, go to YouTube and search on Alice A. Bailey, 2025, Satan, and you'll find it. 
You can listen to the whole thing, whatever. All right, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's go on through the rest of Ladies the Ladies and gentlemen, story. may I have your attention, please? Thank you, Jesus. It's not normal. It's just wrong. Uh, it's not normal. This is disturbing. <laughs> Game over. Praise God. All right. This is Graham and Blumenthal in Congress, yet stepping up the pressure to bomb Iran. Let's listen to this. Very relevant, because once that happens, all bets are off. I'll let Israel have a say about this. We rely upon our friends in Israel to tell us what's going on. But an escalation that I've just described, if it does occur, where there's sustained major missile attack, incursions by Hezbollah against uh, Israeli uh, civilians and, and IDF forces, then we would urge the president to launch an attack against Iran. If an American is killed by the proxies that we're talking about, if these continue, then the target set should be in Iran to hit the IRG training facilities. The paragliders that came in from uh, to Israel from by Hamas are actually were trained uh, in Iran. So that's what I would say. All right, I'm not going to get into any more of that uh, dribble. Um, we already know what they want to do. We've known it. <sighs> 20 years. They've come out and overtly stated it for over 20 years. All right. So anyway, so then we have this um, government official coming out and making a comment regarding what Iran's plans are to deal with certain diplomats in this country. Let's listen to this. It's pretty, pretty revealing right here. Thanks, West Coast Walter. This was a great find. This video was posted online by a channel affiliated with Iran's Revolutionary Guard. It vows to kill former American government officials, including President Trump, to avenge the 2020 U.S. assassination of the terrorism mastermind Qasem Soleimani. All right. How convenient is it to have a nine-foot-tall Draco reptilian like uh, Hillary and goodness gracious knows what other kinds of creatures from the Black Lagoon running our government, performing false flag events, fomenting and orchestrating World War III, manipulating the entire world like, you know, a puppeteer, you know, with a... It's like, this is... and And, you know... The fox is the finder. The stink lay behind her. I mean, really, what they're doing is they already know what they're going to do. They're just looking for scapegoats. They're setting everything up. They're just, they're telling everybody what to believe ahead of time. So everybody goes, oh, those evil Iranians. Because if you think about it, what's going to happen? Ah, all the anger will be channeled over to the Iranians. They must have done it. Okay, so I'm not, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens if anything happens. God is in control. 
All I can tell you is that I can't wait to get out of here because they my, my my espresso machine can't make espresso strong enough for me to want to deal with this alien demon infested rock that much longer. Uh, so what do you do? Please don't send me any you know YouTube's that suggest we're going to be here longer than what I'm suggesting because I will my brain will short circuit. I'll probably start flopping around like Mr. Robot going, that does not compute. That does not compute. Anyway, uh, this is a commentary. Now, it's got some annoying background sounds and stuff in it. Uh, I apologize for that. Some people just get a kick out of putting, but whatever. Uh, this is uh, Clayton Morris making a comment about, um, you know, the European Union approval of digital IDs. But anyway, it's worth listening to, I think. It's only 41 seconds. Not comply with this next tyrannical government move, which just rolled out in Europe. We have unbelievable news over the past 24 hours out of Europe that the mainstream media, of course, is totally ignoring the story, which is, I'm sure, a surprise to you. It could have massive implications for you and your family. Yes, this is about Europe, but it's coming to the United States as we speak because the Federal Reserve is actively working on the very same thing, and the Biden administration wants it. The European Parliament voted to roll out the digital identification program. This will pass, and it will soon take over everyone lives in the European Union. Your medical records, all of your personal information, your whereabouts, your movement through GPS, all of it being tracked instantaneously and verified by the government. All right. All right. So anyway, praise God, we know about the CBDCs. Um, now there's, you know, people out there, yuckety yucky, blah, 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 this, that, and the other thing. Man, for, first and foremost, let me just tell you something, folks. If you don't think you have a FEMA camp in your backyard, I don't mean literally your backyard, but, you know, right down the road from wherever it is you're living. <laughs> you haven't been paying attention. I'm sorry. You haven't. I can show you some of the most desolate parts of Pennsylvania. You would you would be like, where am I? In Saskatchewan? <laughs> okay. And, you know, Indian Town Gap. You don't think they have? FEMA camps there? They all do. They all do. All right. Anyway, praise God. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Make, oh, and by the way, the makeshift ones, you don't want to be in those. Ugh, those are the worst. Where they put, you know, where they make, they take an open field and they drive a pickup truck with a big rolling spool of circumtine wire and they can turn, you know, the whole field just becomes a camp and they shove everybody in there and they're just stuck. Big crowd. Oh. Um, turns out Malaysian Flights 370's disappearance was, in fact, aliens. I do not. I told people on the radio show when that occurred, I said it was aliens. It was aliens. I'm telling you it was aliens. Well, now they have the video evidence of it. Now, I can I can play you a little bit of the snippet where the guy's narrow, narrating through the video. Hold on just a second. Here we go crew guy Nico made saying there was no parallax there actually is proven parallax that you see here um so that's pretty incredible here not as loud as I'd like it now let's watch it again we see our orbs we see them spinning look at this various there's definitely purpose here we can see this mouse here moving around um and now the orientation changes like they're getting ready for something here so anyway he basically walks you through um 
the uh, the video that they have of the plane, and there are three orbs that are obviously not of this earth, and they start to spin around the plane pretty rapidly after the initial descent, and then the plane just, there's a flash of light, and the plane just disappears. And I had somebody ask me, well, where did it go? And I, I had to explain to her that the fallen angels have the ability to step inside and outside of the hologram that we're trapped in. We don't have that ability. They have the ability to manipulate mass inside the hologram that we're in. We don't have that ability, okay, which is where a lot of power signs and lying wonders are going to ultimately come to, you know, via uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. All right, watching my time here. This is a report that made it to Fox News regarding another Chinese lab that they discovered in California. Never seems to end, does it? Because it won't until we get out of here. New video released of an underground secret Chinese biolab in California. According to a new report from the House Select Committee on China, investigators found dangerous pathogens, some with HIV, others with COVID, and some labeled Ebola while examining the lab. The committee releasing more details about the agent of potential bioterror, and Kevin Cork is here with the latest. Kevin. All right, so you can listen to them all babble, babble, babble. But the bottom line is they supposedly found another lab. Supposedly it was being run by Chinese people. Supposedly it was tucked away somewhere in California. And supposedly it had vials and stuff that were marked Ebola and HIV. I wish they would do a special news report on what was actually inside the booster shots. But now, now. Don't hold your breath. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. DeSantis mega donor Kevin uh, Ken Griffin was spotted with George W. Bush at the Cowboys football game. So um, Laura Loomer does not like Ron DeSantis. I understand her point. She has uncovered a lot of stuff. I don't care about any of that. All I can tell you is that it's true. Uh, the sad thing about DeSantis is he really, really wants to run this race all the way through to the end. He obviously believes that something bad is going to happen to Trump and that he's going to jettison to the top of the list of eligibility. Um, and so he's playing a bet. That's what he's doing right now. It's a bet. His bet is that something's going to happen to Trump. Trump's not going to be able to do it and that he will de facto jump to the top of the polls. All right. So anyway, Loomer is out there. She's uncovering the fact that DeSantis is being played like a fiddle by people who are part of the swamp. And she's got a big old hit list on on DeSantis. And you know what? I just I don't care. I just want to get out of here. Don't you? Don't you want to get off this alien demon infested rock? Surely we do. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes on the Middle East. Keep your eyes on Graham. Oh, folks, it's bubbling up. That's where the rest of this stuff is just like, to me, it's just like noise. I don't think there's going to be a 2024 election. I don't think so. That's just my thought. I, I'm i going to side with Wesley Clark, McGregor, the rest of them, Ritter. None of them do. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Next one up. South Korea and the United States revive a deterrence agreement to counter North Korea. And, of course, they make it public. They put it on all these different major news outlets and military websites, whatever the case is, who knows. But what they're doing is they're saying, in your face, Kim Jong-un, 
and your crazy helter-skelter sister. We're going to team up against you, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Only thing is the latter part of that statement is not true. Next headline up. Insider Papers. Eight pro-Iranian fighters dead in United States strikes in Syria, according to the Monitor. Okay, whatever. There's a lot of activity, folks. There's a lot of activity going on over there right now. It's like war activity. There are sorties. There are bombs being dropped. The bombs are not just in Gaza. Everybody's focused on Gaza. They're 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 focused on the Al Shifa Hospital. They're, it's where everybody's watching. Everybody's eyes are so focused on that. Oh no. Oh no 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 no. It is a much bigger, wider area. It's all over Syria. Iran is involved. Hezbollah. Yeah, it's yeah. All right. Next one up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Insider paper again, Turkish ship carrying field hospitals. This is a very, 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 very large ship. And it's a field hospital ship. It's from Turkey. And it has parked right off of Egypt near Gaza. Why would they do that? Why would Turkey take one of their, obviously one of their largest field hospital ships and park it right off the shore near Gaza, off, off, you know, by Egypt. Why don't you think that one through? Next one up. All right. So um, this particular post, most people should by now have, be aware of it. But uh, while all the tremors and the next volcano is getting ready to rip off in Iceland, now they're having a little bit of 2012 action. Or you could say San Andreas, the recent movie San Andreas, where you see um, the actual mantle of the earth cracking across the street. A little bit of that in the movie 2012, um, you know, when the monsters are or these giant robotic whatever things coming out of the ground. All right, praise God. So I just wanted to make you aware of that if you weren't. But, you know, this is nothing new, quite honestly. What it is is when when the Planet X solar system, which is already – it's already orbiting around us. There are seven – planets five they say five to seven so i don't know that anybody's actually counted them and then a field brown dwarf star in the center which you can't see unless unless it's moving away from the sun and then the ionization will cause it to light up i used to be an astronomy buff i used to anyway you can take it to the bank and if you don't want to take it to the bank I'm shrugging my shoulders, whatever. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And that's why you have two sons, pictures, sometimes more, out on the Internet by the gazillions. And so we got elliptical orbit of planet Earth going around the sun. We've got elliptical orbit of the of the moon going around Earth. And all the other planets are in elliptical orbits. You think that doesn't mess things up a little bit? Come on. One of the things that occurs is the core of the Earth starts to slow down. Well, when the core of the Earth is not rotated at its normal speed, what happens to the magma inside the Earth? It gets extremely hot. The thing that cools down the Earth and prevents it from exploding into one giant lava uh, supernova is the core rotating. 
It keeps the, the lava cool, not when there's a giant brown dwarf out there. And that's why all the volcanoes are popping off. That's why it says in the, in the repeat of the prophecy out of the book of Joel, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke and signs in the earth beneath. And all those who call out upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The, the Bible's so literal, it is just amazing. All right, next one up. Hallelujah. Times of Israel, Israel reports that Hamas, uh, according to Hamas, Biden is wholly responsible for the Israeli Defense Force operation at the Al-Shifa Hospital. All right, so so much for that. Then we have, um, I'm just looking at these things because we're getting close. Yeah, we got time, I guess. Um, let me see here. Okay, so here's a little commentary regarding President Trump uh, and the approaching election period. Like I said, I just don't think we're going to make it to it, but we might, you know. We'll see. President Biden, he might, he it looks like the candidate in, in 2024. When you were uh, a name speaker, a lot of people said, oh, Trump ally, Trump, big Trump guy, big Trump ally. But uh, you, you, as far as I know, you have not endorsed the former president yet uh, for 2024. And this is... Everybody's watching this show right now. This, if you're going to do that, this would be a great, great time to do it, uh, uh, Mr. Speaker. You ready? I, ha I have done it. Yeah, I, I have. I have endorsed him wholeheartedly. Um, look, I was uh, one of the closest allies that President Trump had in Congress. He had a phenomenal first term. Those first two years, as you all know, we brought about the greatest economic numbers in the history of the world, not just the country, because his policies worked. And I'm, I'm all in for President Trump. I, okay, yeah, I, know, I right. expect he'll be our nominee. Yeah. And well, there you have it. Okay, next one up. Praise, Je thank you, Jesus. Oh, oh Lord, oh, no flesh would be saved. Please cut the day short. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Next one up. Israel's story about the Al Shahifa Hospital is not washing true, according to multiple, 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 multiple news outlets, including the BBC, CNN. And also many other well-respected news outlets in the Middle East. They, in fact, without going through, because we're getting close to bringing on Sister Terry, and I don't want to munch into our time here, but I'm just letting you know. I've got commentaries from Tulsi Gabbard. Um, you know, she's, well, actually, no, her commentary is about, wow, look at all the thousands of people that are voting for Israel in Washington, D.C., and I'm like, Welcome to America, okay? And that's fine. That's fine. Just recognize where we are in the Bible and what is going to be happening. Read it. Read the Olivet Discourse. It doesn't mean that God isn't going to put Israel back together, but first, according to Luke 21.20, it's going to get real ugly. So anyway, um, so but then you have Gaza civilians complaining about Hamas hiding launchers. Uh, I can play you this audio. It's only a few seconds long, but this particular gentleman is a uh, he's a Palestinian and he's angry because Hamas is hiding. See, I'm trying to be fair. I don't want to just say Israel did naughty naughty here and Hamas didn't do naughty naughty. No, I, I don't care. I just want to go home. 
I think most of us just want to go home, but we are supposed to watch and pray. Praise God. All right, so let's listen to this guy's little six-minute clip here. He says, as for the resistance, they come and hide amongst the people. Why are they hiding amongst the people? They can all go to H-E double toothpick and hide there, he says. He's not too happy about Hamas, this guy. All right, next uh, next headline up. Thank you, Lord. The United States will not restrain Israel in Gaza, according to Lavrov, out of the uh, uh, out of the Russian Federation. Praise God. All right, we have another headline. Ma- Max Blumenthal confirms the Hannibal Directive took place. Okay, so do you believe it? I don't. You know what? It, I'm reporting. You decide. I report. You decide. I report. You decide. This is Max Blumenthal's. Discussion in regard to what he uncovered regarding what happened on that dreadful day. All we hear from the politicians in NATO countries is October the 7th is when Hamas opened fire on innocent people. Uh, I mean, in fairness, many of them may well have been IDF reservists because they were Israeli citizens, but they were partying by the siege wall. And this was nothing to do with Israeli on Israeli fire well first of all we now know from official israeli statistics and confirmed deaths published by haaretz that at least 50 percent of those killed were on military bases at the time they were gaza's they were israel's gaza division which was enforcing the siege of gaza active duty soldiers in uniform they were the main targets of the hamas commando division their elite units and u.s media never, Western media never showed the video shot by Hamas and Islamic Jihad commandos by GoPro cameras of them killing these soldiers who had been previously killing them in many military operations. They turned to the killing of civilians or not Israeli non-combatants in order to create political space for what was to come next, the Israeli operation inside Gaza. And the Israelis assisted them by providing images which are now seen on websites that the Israeli foreign ministry is promoting like hamas-massacre.com which show extremely grisly images. Now it's clear that in the attempt to take captives Hamas militants did kill civilians. They were shot with Kalashnikovs. Some may have been killed with grenades. Those were the only weapons they carried. But if you look at the images of for example the homes in Kibbutz Be'eri which was one of the main sites of hostage standoffs. These homes look like many of the homes in the Gaza Strip, which I've personally seen covering the 2014 assault on Gaza. Totally destroyed, cooked. Entire families are actually found in these homes, Israeli families, under rubble, as Palestinian families are now being found in Gaza. If you look at cars which were fleeing the Nova Electronic Music Festival, these cars were completely charred, melted, and many of the bodies that were found inside were also charred. And all of these images were taken and presented to Western media in various uh, screenings and through these websites as casualties of Hamas's savagery, that they burned people alive, that they burned entire families alive. And what's absolutely clear and confirmed is that the Israeli military shelled these homes in Kibbutz Be'eri with tanks under orders from the top to 
as, as one kibbutz security coordinator named Tuval Escapa put it, to shell the homes on top of their occupants, even if they were Israeli. That is, what, that is a well-known directive known as the Hannibal Directive, which essentially is take no prisoners. Look, this isn't for me. I don't, you know, I'm not into this kind of thing. I'm just reporting both sides of the story as best as I possibly can. And this is all over the Internet. It's not like I'm cherry picking one side or the other because I don't care. I'm a citizen of heaven and I am looking forward to our departure as we all ought to be. Because if you think this stuff is bad, wait. But it's going to get a lot worse. Where we need to be as part of the bride of Jesus Christ is on our knees, worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, and praying for the lost and each other. Another headline. Inflation driving more American families to food banks so they can even have a Thanksgiving at all. Another headline talks about rioting and, you know, all kinds of rioting about the Middle East and stuff occurring in different parts of the world, which is absolutely true. Uh, At the uh, Democratic National Convention or whatever, the DNC, there was a massive uh, riotous event, we will just say. I have the film and footage of that. I could play it for you. It would take time, but all you would hear is a lot of people screaming and kicking and all kinds of insane chaos. I also have right here an audio bite of the BBC and how they had not only the BBC but also CNN and how they had gone into the Al Shiva Hospital and they 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 were being given a tour by the IDF. They wanted to see the um, Hamas underground facilities and the underground command centers that were supposed to exist underneath the hospital, but unfortunately they didn't get to see anything of a sort. So that called into everybody uh, quite a number of questions. Doctors forced to to leave the Al-Shahib Hospital at gunpoint, and their patients were forced to be left behind. Uh, patients warn, this is a completely different subject, patients warn many are hiding COVID injection serious symptoms. And this is talking about the airline industry. So evidently, according to this particular article, and I am watching my time, According to this particular article, there was a 272% rise in mayday calls by pilots while they're in the air. Okay. Another headline reads, three Indian pilots reportedly died of cardiac arrest in three months. Veteran pilot warns of industry disaster coming. Okay, then uh, thousands of people from Africa are, are encroaching in on Spain. Spain is having riots, chaos, mayhem in the streets. It is absolutely out of control, and it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Middle East. I don't. What? What? I. You know. I, again, I haven't had time to look into the details, but they're just one of many countries that are being attacked by these various means. Another headline reads: U.S. forces attacked. Listen to this: 151 times in Iraq and Syria. During the Biden presidency. So I don't know. Is that enough for, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, Russia also, this has been reported that Russia is now loading uh, missiles with nuclear capable glide vehicles. Those are also known as uh, multiple independent reentry vehicles. They are now putting the big boys, the big boys 
thermonuclear big boys into the silos. It's not enough that they're carrying around the uh, nuclear suitcase and we have videos of it, is it? Right. Don't think anybody's joking around. This is some pretty serious stuff. But anyway, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We, before we bring on Sister Terry, please just take a moment. Pray with me. Matthew 18, 19 says, again, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, our Father, our God. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Father, please, Lord Jesus, count us worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth and stand before you at the wedding supper. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And let's bring on Sister Terry Hill. Hallelujah. Sister Terry, are you there? Yes, John, I'm here. Yay. All right. Well, we're very happy to have you. We missed you last month, but um we believe me, nobody knows <laughs> I don't think there's many out there that know better than I do, but I know there are. Uh, you know, how life can get in the way and things need to be taken care of. So God bless you and thank you for joining us tonight. What a blessing and we're all very much looking forward to to uh to your teaching this evening. Thank you. God bless you. Well, thank you, John, and it's just such a joy to be with you, too. And, you know, I tell you what, it's getting hotter. The road is getting more narrow, but the grace of God is there for each of us. So I'm so grateful for that. And uh, we're all thankful tonight, John, that we can be together and have this time. We don't know how much time will be given us that we can uh, be online together and share these messages and pray together. But we are certainly making use of the time. We're redeeming the time because the days are evil. And again, just we're all so grateful to be alive right now to see these things that are happening. So let's just open up with prayer. And again, thank you too, John, for praying. Father, we just do commit this time into your hands. And we praise you and thank you that none of this has caught you by surprise. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in your people. We thank you that your word is unchanging, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that nothing has caught you by surprise. And I am reminded of what you said, Jesus, every jot and tittle shall be fulfilled. And so we praise you and thank you, Father, as you open our eyes and open our ears to help us to see these things that are being fulfilled before our very eyes. We count it a privilege to be called your children tonight. And, Father, I ask that you would receive all the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, beloved, I'd like to give you my email address. Uh, For those of you who are requesting prayer, always happy to pray for you. Uh, You can contact me at a word in due season, 777 at gmail.com. And uh, you can visit my website 
at awordinduseason.com. Again, always so happy to hear from you and take your prayer requests. And uh, also, just wanted to let you know you can request the show notes. Just uh, send me an email, and I would be happy to send these to you. So the message that I felt impressed by the Lord, I was waiting on him, and this, this is what was being impressed to me. So this is what apparently he would like to talk to us about and to help us to have an understanding from his perspective, what he sees. I know that we hear in part, we see in part, we prophesy in part, but I am asking that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that we would better know the hope of our calling and the riches we have in Christ. Beloved, he said, he said, I'm writing my portrait, I'm impressing my portrait on a piece of clay. And so his portrait on a piece of clay is what he's doing in the lives of those who are his. And while we hear the news that uh, is um, increasingly so difficult to try to digest and to navigate through, and we're trying to, to separate uh, truth from fiction and uh, trying to hear the voice of the Lord in the midst of many voices, there's one thing that I know, the, the message that he's given me and what I put on the handouts I certainly will not be able to cover everything tonight, but I'm, again, happy to send those notes to you if you want them. So as we're his workmanship, beloved, we have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we may not think about it, but he prepared so much for us beforehand that we can't even see or comprehend. It's it's just like a day-by-day discovery walking with him and being in communion with him and asking him to reveal himself that we might see him and behold him, that we might be found faithful. But what I found is is I, I've been desirous, and I know that those of you who are listening have been desirous. We just want to go home and be with Jesus. Uh, this world is not our home. We are simply pilgrims passing through this place. And the first scripture that I am impressed to uh, take you to is will be found in the book of Song of Solomon. I just want to share something really briefly about the Song of Solomon, just a little comment here. This book basically shows the progressive development of a love relationship between a bride and a bridegroom. So it's symbolic of Christ and the one that he loves called his bride. So it also describes the many obstacles that the bride has to overcome in order to be truly united in fullness with her beloved. Now, we're grateful for justification. We're grateful that we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We're thankful that we have been delivered from the powers of this uh, age, of this darkness, and we have been translated in the kingdom of his own dear son. But we also know that each of us are having to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And as I've been desirous, of seeing the Lord and of knowing him and his ways and his goodness to know his heart and how he thinks and how what he sees from his perspective, this is what I was impressed to share with you uh, out of Song of Solomon. And this is very cool. This is going to encourage you. Song of Solomon 2, verse 14. Now, this is the, the bridegroom, in this case, Solomon, speaking to the one that he loves. Again, this book is an allegory. It's an amazing book very deep and very rich, but I want to read verse 14, 
Song of Solomon 2, 14 to you. And this is what he says to her. This is what Jesus says to the bride, to the one that he loves, to the one that he is watching, the one that is being conformed into the image of his own likeness. This is what he says. He says, oh, my dove, you who are in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. This is what he says. Let me see your form. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Now, when we read this, we think, but, but Lord Jesus, the closer we get to you, the more we seem to sense the wickedness around us, the more we recognize our own weakness, we see our own flaws, and we want to see his face. We look and long for his appearing, but here he says, let me see your form because your form and your countenance is lovely. Now, an interesting thing, when he calls her his dove, it's interesting from in the Song of Solomon, I'm not going to go into detail tonight, there's just too much, but the term dove is symbolic of the spirit-filled one who loves the Lord, who is bearing fruit. So he describes different features of the bride in the Song of Solomon. Now, With regard to his portrait, the Lord's portrait on a piece of clay, perhaps some of you have had uh, family portraits done before. And as we gather often um, with family members and friends during the holidays, lots of times pictures are taken. And when we see these pictures of grandma and grandpa and parents and children and grandchildren, there's something that we recognize. We begin to see oh boy, the son looks just like his mom or your daughter has her daddy's eyes or we look at aunts and uncles and we see grandchildren and we can see some features that are very similar to their parents. So with the portrait that the Lord is inscribing on his people, on his beloved right now, and the fact that he, clay, he talks a lot about clay in the word of God, If we can remember, this will help us, clay in scripture is symbolic of man's weakness. So his portrait on a piece of clay is his stamp. It's his his image. It's his message. In fact, beloved, your life is the message, all right? And in Haggai 1.13, Haggai said, It's the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message. So you are the message. Your life is the message. And his likeness is being revealed in the clay. All right? He basically, in Ezekiel 4.1, this is what it says. Now, son of man, take a clay tablet, okay? And so in other translations, clay tablet is defined as a brick or a tile. So he says, son of man, take a clay tablet, put it in front of you, and draw, portray it, inscribe the city of Jerusalem on it. Now, the Bible tells us in Revelation, the book of Revelation, it is the people that it is a city. These are human, these are spirit beings that occupy a place in the spirit realm. And the Bible talks much about the new Jerusalem. And so we see similarities from the Old Testament revealing these truths of the New Testament. So this is what the Lord is doing. He has taken a piece of clay, 
Uh, he is the potter, and he is inscribing his likeness, his message upon us. And it's during this time, at the very end of the ages, when we are seeing these judgments, when we see and are realizing the day of the Lord approaches, right now, in the midst of turmoil and upheaval in the lives of people around the world, and I know that there are people I'm speaking to that are going through extreme troubling times and turmoil and upheaval and uncertainty. But in the midst of this, you and I are being given opportunities to develop godly behavior in the midst of a fallen world. So he's painting his portrait on the outside and his character on the inside. And so every day in our families, at work, at at home, and our dealings with ministries and individuals we run into, we are being given opportunities to grow in our faith as we overcome obstacles. I, I wish there was a way that the obstacles could be removed and that we could grow aside from the obstacles and the pressure and the uncertainty, but it seems that this is the Lord's threshing floor and he has chosen to place us here. And this is the, the place, the venue where he is perfecting his people. And so we are being given opportunities to demonstrate some righteous conduct in the midst of some really evil conduct and behavior. We're being given opportunities to learn obedience through the things that we suffer. And we're given opportunities for the moral nature of Christ to be formed in us. Beloved, we all love the assignments that God gives us, and we rejoice when we see the supernatural. Our heart leaps when we see God answer prayer and when he speaks to us in profound ways and sometimes just a whisper. But the fact of the matter is that there is an ascending, a resurrection going on in the inside of us right now, and the nature of Christ is being formed in you and me as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit And so now we're being given opportunities to be good stewards. Um, And so many gifts in the body of Christ. And uh, I I love meeting different members of the body of Christ. And I see their gifts of health and their contribution and serving and uh, exhorting and hospitality and cooking. John, boy, what a cook you are. Boy, we wish we could all just come and join you for Thanksgiving. Wow. Um, God gives so many gifts to different people, and, and I celebrate those gifts, and I rejoice in the gifts that God has given. But, beloved, bottom line, we are here because we, in fact, are the message. In fact, the Lord tells us he's inscribing upon us and within our hearts. And we know when he talked about a new covenant, he said, I'm going to put my law within you, and on your heart, I'm going to write it. And so as we're seeking him for direction, and sometimes it's uncertain, we just don't know which way to go or what way to turn, what he begins to do as we're listening to him and we're in his word and in fellowship with godly brethren, hopefully, uh, he begins to write his will on our heart, and it will come into agreement with the law because under the new covenant, he writes his law upon our hearts, and pretty soon, He begins to bring up, as we've been in his word, he brings up those scriptures to us, and we hear this being spoken, and he says, I'm going to be their God, they'll be my people. That's the new covenant, the law written 
on tablets of the heart. And you remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3. He said, you are our letter, okay, written in our hearts, known and read by men. So people are learning about Christ. They're reading about his character and his nature because they're watching your life. And Paul said, you're being manifested. You're a letter of Christ. You are cared for by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. So God has been writing and speaking. You know, when he told Ezekiel, he said, take a clay tablet and inscribe and portray and draw this on here. Paul said basically the same thing. He said, I'm doing it on the inside of you and this inside character and grace and new birth, this new creation that's on the inside of you is manifesting on the outside. And so as you and I find ourselves in impossible situations, difficult situations, and we find and we hear the Spirit of the Lord speaking in our ear, we find that uh, in this book, Song of Solomon, there's in the interaction between the bride and the groom and this love relationship that grows, he in fact describes, the word of God describes the features of the bride of Christ, painting a portrait of his likeness. And the fact that we read in Song of Solomon, and again, all of us seeking the Lord and wanting to see him, wanting to be closer to him, we want to hear his voice. I think it's absolutely remarkable and wonderful that he says, I want to see your form. I want to hear your voice because your voice is sweet to me and your form is lovely. And, you know, this whole chapter talks about um, him calling his beloved away. Arise, my beloved, and come away. And we know what it is to come away, and yet we're having to do the balancing act Uh, you know, in our homes, uh, with our spouses, with our children, with family members, at work, in the places that we go. And we're, we're wanting to spend that time alone with Jesus. And, you know, I love being with the Lord. I, I, I love studying. I love praying. But I know my life has to be lived outside of where I am, too. And so he allows me to interact with individuals and with people. And, and God uses his own people, and he uses these situations to refine us, doesn't he? And in the Song of Solomon, and again, because the Lord says, I'm painting my own portrait, and the features that I wrote about, about my bride, all through the Word of God, especially in the Song of Solomon, he says, this is revealing and painting a portrait of my own likeness in you. You may not see it, but others are seeing it. And while you are Uh, coming before me and while you are crying out to me and in desperation and in pain and in distress and in uncertainty and quite honestly beloved sometimes just exhaustion he in our weakness again if we can remember that clay is a symbol of man's weakness God said I am writing my own portrait on your weakness and I'm going to receive the glory for it because what does God's word tell us in Our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And so he actually talks about her features. He talks about her stature. And when the Bible talks about these physical features, we're talking about spiritual principles. So God is doing a work in his people right now. And as we see 
these things um, coming as we see the unfolding of the plans of the evil one if we're in the word of God we can also see the plan of our great king who is absolutely victorious who is coming to his bride leaping upon the mountains and skipping upon the hills because he has completely overcome every obstacle he said as I have overcome so will you overcome and so he describes her stature her height of uh, attainment, her growth of spiritual maturity. So she comes to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's, we know, Ephesians 4.13. And so your stature, my stature, is reflecting our standing, the achievement that comes by the grace of God. Now think for a minute where you are this day in the month of November in the year 2023. Look back five years, 10 years, 15 years, and ask the Lord, Father, can you show me? Is there a, a level of growth that I've come to that perhaps I have not seen and it's bringing glory and honor to you? Because, beloved, we have to encourage ourselves in our most holy faith. We have to understand that we are in the process. That's what sanctification is. First, we're justified, then we're sanctified, and yes, we shall be glorified. Those who are in him those who abide in the secret place or are found in the cleft of the stairs that one that he calls his beloved his dove so ask him about the stature and what what you have learned so far say father where am i uh, making progress where do i need help another thing he describes is her head in scripture it speaks of a mind that has a knowledge of and is being renewed by the word of god so the, this feature of her head, which is part of his portrait, if you think about a family portrait or if you have your picture taken or a, or a portrait that is drawn of you, okay, or painted, uh, the head certainly would be prominent. So this is a type of the one who is thinking and meditating upon eternal heavenly things, okay? And so because we're moving and we're ascending within, okay, so we first begin, uh, the resurrection work begins in us. And so the Lord is taking us up higher and higher, and we are ascending to new heights, new levels in the spirit realm. Her head is speaking of the mind that has a knowledge of and is being renewed by the word of God. And so, again, uh, the earthly realm is growing dim, beloved. I know it's very real. It's where our flesh bodies dwell. But again, these are our, our, our earthly containers. We know that he is the potter and we are the clay and he is changing us. He is molding us. Another thing that the Lord speaks about in the Song of Solomon is her hair. And other scriptures speak about it too. You'll remember uh, hair is a symbol of being covered. If you'll remember, uh, as with um, Samson, uh, he was consecrated and dedicated to God. He took the vow of a Nazarite, one who was set apart from birth. So the fact that the hair was not cut, the hair speaks of full submission to Christ, and it's about our head being covered, and Jesus Christ is our head. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's being consecrated and dedicated to God. So, you know, the vows that we have taken before the Lord, the Lord knows and he holds us to those things, those promises we have made. 
and if we if we miss the mark, if brow, if um, vows are broken, it's important that we go to the Lord and ask Him to forgive us, and if possible, that He could restore. But certainly, the Lord knows that we are dedicated unto Him, and this is a picture of full submission to Christ. He also speaks about our eyes. Okay, so if you if you talk with a person and have a conversation with them, the eyes are like the window to the soul. So it speaks of the bride's perception. And he is looking at us and he's wanting to see if our focus is steady and upon himself and not about, not even focused on the corruption, not focused on the uh the fallen world that is all around us, but our focus is remaining upon our Savior. And that keeps our, our, as we have that steady focus, as we're looking at him. And again, we're seeking through a, uh, looking through a glass dimly. But if we have eyes to see, and if we ask him to give us eyes to see, what that means is we're asking for that eye solve, okay? And we read about that in Revelation 3, don't we? And that eye solve is really, in fact, the oil of illumination that gives us eyes to see, and it's directly related to repentance. And repentance was the first message of the gospel. Uh, Jesus said, repent. John the Baptist said, repent. And those who are helping to prepare God's people for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ and significantly the days prior to the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance will be a part of that. We have to turn, beloved. And it simply means we have to keep our gaze and our focus upon him, and we have to work really hard. Day in the word of God, we have to work really hard to look beyond the natural realm. Ask him to help you see beyond the natural realm into the unseen realm of the spirit. And I have to ask him all the time, Father, I need eyes to see. Help me. I need ears to hear because I recognize my own spiritual deafness until you open my ears. Now, since we're talking about ears, let's talk about that because he addresses the ears also in Scripture. So with us, with the bride, her ears have been opened to hear his voice, having been touched by the blood. Now in Exodus 29.20, the priesthood was actually consecrated. There's a whole lot that can be said about the priesthood. We'll talk a little bit about it. But uh, the the ear, the right ear, was actually uh, touched by the blood, also the thumb on the right hand and the, the large toe on the right foot. And so what we're seeing is that the blood literally uh, touching God's royal priesthood to give them ears to hear. And the fact that it was on the the right thumb, on the right hand, that speaks of a spiritual service of God's priesthood. And then on the the great uh, toe of the right foot, the large toe, that speaks of a consecrated walk. So as we acknowledge the blood of Jesus Christ daily, God, ears to hear. And try to understand and see that this is a typology in the Old Testament of what God would do in a people under the new covenant. So they had to follow a prescription for the anointing oil. They had to uh, slay the ram, and then the blood was touched upon Aaron's sons. But as we understand, Jesus is our great high priest, and he told us that he has a royal priesthood in the earth. Then we need to understand that this applies to us as well, because the repentant one is given ears to hear. Another thing that is addressed about the bride 
and is part certainly a part of his portrait on us and in us was her nose and in scripture the nose is speaking symbolically a spiritual discernment now one of the gifts of the holy spirit we know is the discerning of spirits and we can ask the lord father help me to discern the people uh, that i am to work with help me to discern the people that i am to associate with help me to discern father because Beloved, we need his help every day. And the nose is speaks of an ability to distinguish, to analyze, and the ability to detect, okay? And so the nose in scripture, the symbolic, literal, or scriptural meaning is that God would give his bride. And she does, in fact, have a supernatural sense, which allows her to evaluate and judge accurately and so certainly we have to rightfully divide the word of truth but we also have to accurately discern what is of the lord and what is not of the lord what comes from the human spirit what comes from the holy spirit because it's not always obvious but if we ask him beloved uh you know to sniff something out to to know those smells and those tastes and uh, when I cook, I love spices, and I, I can detect certain spices in my cooking. And often if I eat a dish out somewhere or at someone's home, I will ask the Lord, would you help me to recreate that and show me the spices that were in it? And and so sometimes, even as it is in the natural realm, we'll know what spices need to be added. Uh, I, I know John was talking about um, spices, parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. And by the way, I remember that. Simon and Garfunkel song uh, when I was in high school. I'd also just a little thing uh, I can remember as a teenager, certainly not born again. But I remember when I heard that song, because God speaks to us through songs, conversations. Uh, I can remember uh, hearing Bridge Over Troubled Water. And Simon and uh, Garfunkel sang that, when you're weary, feeling small. And when tears are in your eyes, I will dry them all. And beloved, do you know I heard the voice of the Lord in that song? Now, you might say, well, Sister Terry, that is a secular song, and they are Christians. Let me tell you something. Our God can and does speak through everything, through phrases, through dreams, through words, through movies, through books, through conversations. And I can remember hearing the voice of God. I will lay me down. Now, he is our bridge over troubled waters, beloved. And again, when we're talking about the nose and we're talking about discerning, we're talking about judging and evaluating, know that if we ask him to give us ears to hear, he's going to speak to us in ways that we may not expect. He speaks to us through gifts that God pe- that people give us. He can speak to us through things that uh, music that we hear, uh, actions and and different prophetic acts different things that may not make sense to us but later we look back and we realize wow god was speaking to me and so this is one of the attributes and features of the bride of christ and jesus is seeing it he's beholding himself in you and i for those of us who are born again who have found that place under the everlasting arms also he speaks of her lips And so when we talk about lips in the biblical sense, this refers to her speech and conversation. And I can remember as a brand new Christian, one of the books seemed like I lived in for 
months, uh, probably years, was in the book of James and where God was talking about the tongue. And I'm realizing then that this is something that he had to address in me immediately. He said, uh, we have got to see this speech uh, and your words completely change. And he, you know, began to talk to me about the transformation that will only come through repentance. It's thinking differently and it's uh, repenting, uh, not only in words and in speech, but in actions as well. So the lips refer to the bride's speech and conversation, which is the fruit of her lips. So her mouth speaks truth, offers prayer and thanksgiving, and brings praise and worship to God. And I want to say something about the fruit of our lips giving thanks. I just want to say that, beloved, if you can thank him for the difficulty that you're going through, and I had to do this just recently. I thanked the Lord for some trials that I have gone through, that my husband and I have gone through, that our family has gone through. And I look back and I see, wow, things. if I had gone through this uh, five years ago or 10 years ago, uh, I realize, wow. But I, I understand now the grace of God and being able to say, Father, thank you. I can see how that trial and that severe test helped to change me. It doesn't mean that I have completely passed every test, but what it does mean for you and for me, beloved, is that when we look back and we can be thankful in our difficulties, not necessarily thankful for them, but thankful that God is changing us. He's molding us into his very own creation. The lips, okay, the, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks, and I, and I pray that every one of us can be thankful, especially this week, as we think about all that God has done, as we'll be gathering with family members and with friends, we're going to have an opportunity to say some things, perhaps. Let's ask the Lord to help us to put a guard over our mouth, over our tongue, because, beloved, just because something comes into our mind, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should speak it. Or just because we know something or perceive something or see something that perhaps somebody else may not see, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should speak it out unless God says that we can speak it and do it in love and do it in wisdom in a way that will uh, create a hunger in the lives of people to see and to know Jesus. Beloved, there are things that I, I can't talk to a, to many, many people about. And I know that you have family members, you have friends, you have brothers and sisters in Christ, and you want to be able to share things, but it's as though God just closes your mouth sometimes because what I'm realizing, too, is we can't cast these pearls before swine. Okay, when I use the word swine, you understand what I'm saying. Jesus said, lest they trample them underfoot and they turn and rend you. So, if you have experienced that, which I have, I don't like the turning and rending part, and I don't like the experience I have had when I try to share some precious truth, okay, pearls, if you will, because you and I who love God's word, and you have to dive and dig and search to find pearls and oysters, right? That's work, and that means we dive into the depths. It means there are precious things 
that we hold on to that are promises to us that are glorious, eternal truths, but we want to share these things with people, but it's like they just completely change the subject and they start talking about something else. And it's like my heart sighs and breaks, or if you do say something and they turn and rend you, in other words, it's as though you are mocked for it or you are wounded for it. Remember this, Jesus said, I too was wounded in the house of my friends. So as we gather with friends this week, or family members, or, you know, just in our daily lives, ask him to help you because the bride's mouth, her speech is restrained, okay? God, part of the fruit of the spirit being the fruit of self-control is not only in the appetites of our flesh, but also in what we say and how we say things. And praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You're helping all of us to do that. Another thing about the portrait of the Lord's likeness, okay, and the features of the bride, is the word of God talks about her teeth. Now, teeth in scripture, okay, babies, infants are not born with teeth. So when we understand that teeth uh, speaks to us about the fact that the bride can properly consume and digest the meat of the word of God, basically symbolically refers to her ability to eat solid food having been weaned from the milk. And so um, there are times, again, that in my zeal or my excitement or I've been in the word or I want to comfort somebody with something, I can't. And, And it's difficult because I want to share something precious from the word of God, but they can't receive it. Uh, and, and so we go back to Foundational Christianity uh, 101, and that's fine. But what we're realizing now is um, as a parent, those of you who are parents and those of you who are grandparents, if we can put ourselves back into the days that we were very young parents or as teenagers or as children, realizing there were things that our parents wanted to tell us, but we weren't able to receive those things. Remember what Jesus said. The disciples were asking questions. He had many things. He said, I have yet to tell you, but you are not yet able to receive them. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will take that which is mine and he will show it to you. Beloved, he will do that. There are are things that my husband and I would love to share with our children and our grandchildren, but as of yet, they don't have ears to hear. And I wish somehow, some way, they could know and experience some of the things that you and I have experienced as we have been growing in grace, as we see things now that we never saw before, as we hear things that we've never heard before, we would like to see our loved ones spared from the pain of having to go through life's lessons. We would like to help them bypass that but beloved we cannot bypass the cross because that is the place of glory that is where self is crucified as we take up our cross and follow him as we surrender fully and yield to him that's not anything we can do for for anybody else beloved that is something that each one has to learn on their own so as i've mentioned these features of the bride These things are painting a portrait, and as Jesus is beholding us, as we are attempting to behold him, he's seeing his own reflection in us. Now, I'm telling you, I know I have a long way to go. I know I am not perfected, and you know that about yourself. But, beloved, we long for him. 
And we must understand and realize he longs so deeply to be united with his bride, with the one that he loves. But in the meantime, he's marking us. And even as the European Union is desiring to mark the people with a digital ID, even as we're seeing this indignation has to run its course. You know, Daniel talked about it in Daniel 11, prior to Jesus appearing, prior to establishing his messianic kingdom, the indignation has to run its course. And the people that we love the most, that we're closest to many times, often are the ones that hurt us the most, and we are pained in our innermost being. It's almost like, you know, when Jesus went to the cross, right, the, the nails pierced through his hands and his wrists, his feet, right, he was crucified, the nail went through his feet, and he had a crown of thorns on his head, we know that, and we know that a spear pierced and and went in through his heart, and remember uh, uh, what happened when Joseph and Jesus presented Jesus, excuse me, when Joseph and Mary present, presented Jesus in the temple, and the priest there, and Anna was there, and Simeon uh, said, a sword will pierce your own heart. You and I know as parents, as spouses, uh, if we have children and grandchildren, there are things that pierce our heart and bring us pain because we see and we know that those we love very much are going to, many of them will have to walk through some really difficult times. Many are not going to be ready when the Lord appears. And we've talked many times about the wise and the foolish virgins and what we've come to discover, and we know this, in the distinction between the wise and the foolish virgins, we learned that the wise virgins could not share their oil with the foolish because the foolish came to them and said, give us what you have. I actually had this happen one time when I was speaking, and I'm not you know, confessing to say that I am all wise because I'm, I'm not, but I have been learning some things through the things that I've walked through, and God has given some wisdom. What I'm learning and what this gal asked me, how do I get what you have? I mean, she just was very honest. She came right out, and I told her, I said, we have to carry our cross and follow Jesus. We have to go outside the camp. And he illuminates his word. He reveals himself. The wise can't share their oil with the foolish. You see, the oil of spiritual preparedness, okay, that we want our loved ones to have, that we want our brethren to have, that we want people at work to have, the oil of spiritual preparedness can't be shared. It comes only from the Lord by the Holy Spirit, right? And the fact that the bride was described as the dove, that uh, indicates intimacy, beloved, all right? And there are many who are not intimate with the Lord. We know that. And in this love song, this story of Song of Solomon, we read that she, the, the dove, is the undefiled one who is called fair and clear. She is the choice one of her mother. That's a picture of the church. So out of the, what we can call the organization of Christendom and the organized church, the Lord makes a distinction in calling a group of people, an individual, the dove. And she is intimate with her king. She is one with him. She is yielded to him. And she possesses a great development of grace. And 
there is a high degree of fruit bearing, and that's what we all want. We want that fruit of the Spirit to come forth in our lives, beloved, and that means we have to endure through the seasons, winter, spring, summer, and fall. And Jesus tells us in John 15, if you're bearing fruit, (laughs) he said, I desire that you bear fruit and your fruit would remain. He said, if you are bearing fruit, I'm going to prune you so that you would bear more fruit. And so, beloved, if you're being pruned right now, if things are really being cut back, if you are being stripped, uh, uh, perhaps abandoned, if you feel neglected, if, if you're feeling a separation, which comes because he is making his people ready. So as he's making us ready, he sees his own reflection in us. And so with fruit bearing, What we're seeing is with that separation, and we know that Abraham had to cooperate with God, right? Abraham was called Abraham, and his name was changed to Abraham. And so in Scripture, a change of name indicates a spiritual transformation. And it happened with uh, Jacob, for example. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah 43, 1, Jacob was created, but Israel was formed. And so you and I, beloved, God's new creation. We were created, but he's forming us, right? He's creating the life. He creates the life, and then he forms the life, the ministry, into the image that's pleasing to him. So your life and your ministry and your calling, and there are diversities of calling, beloved, is pleasing to him that he is fashioning you into the image that's pleasing to him, that is, in fact, a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, beloved, remember, don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself to someone else. There are many facets in a diamond. There are many facets of the glory of God, and he is doing that in you and through you. Even as, um, as it was true with Jacob in many dealings of the Lord, okay, he had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? And it was under those circumstances that Jacob um, formally received his new name, Israel, all right? If you remember in the book of Genesis, we find that uh, he was wrestling with a man, which we believe is an Old Testament uh, Christophany, an an appearance of the Lord, wrestling with Jacob and brought him to that point, okay, that all that Jacob could do is cling to him, okay? So what had happened is that uh, um, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And in this uh, section of scripture in Genesis 32, I'm not going to take you there now, but we find Jacob is like us. We have to be brought to the end of ourselves, beloved, to that point of weakness. And in that point of weakness, you and I might think we're failing, but what we must understand is that God uses failures. We must understand that we are clay in his hands, all right? And when this man who wrestled with him said to him, what is your name? In other words, I named you Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? All right, but Jacob's name actually meant supplanter. In other words, the one who uses plotting or force. He was a schemer and a trickster. God came to him. He said, you know what you are, right? He said, but through this wrestling, all right, the Bible says that he wrestled with them all through the night. And there was a point in time 
that all Jacob could do is cling to him. And so the this man uh, who wrestled with him, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, brought him to that point, touched him in the strength of his thigh, okay? And he then, after that day, walked with a limp. So when we have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, our walk is never the same. And people can see this walk. And they're looking at your life. And they're looking at my life. And it's a story. Our lives are telling a story. You are, in fact, beloved, his portrait on a piece of clay. And when we realize that God's strength and his call upon our lives is perfected and manifested through our weakness, we have to stop beating ourselves up. Jesus doesn't want us to apologize for being human. Now listen to me. The accuser of the brethren bow breathes, uh, beats the saints, continually tries to accuse them of their weakness or of their past. Now here's the deal. If any man is in Christ, is a new creation. Your past is under the blood, beloved. You must remember your past is under the blood. It is wiped clean. Hallelujah. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And when the enemy tries to remind you of your weakness, you tell him that it's in your weakness that God's strength is going to be made perfect. So you can glory in your infirmity. You can glory in your weakness because Paul knew that secret. He found that place, even as Jacob did. And at that point, he said, I'm not going to let you go until until you bless me. Jacob clinged to him, and his name was changed. His name was changed to Israel, and that means a prince who prevails. So a change of name in Scripture indicates a spiritual transformation. And so in that time, in the dark night of the soul, and I know that some of you have struggled with depression. I know some of you deal with anxiety or a panic attack. Some of you uh, are dealing with bad dreams and you're being assaulted in your thought life. Remember, the Bible tells us that in that dark night of the soul, when these voices and this clamory is beating on you, you just cling to the Lord Jesus Christ with all your might. And I tell you, when God touches us, even in our own physical uh, natural strength, all right? Jacob, even as Jacob walked with a limp after that, because the Bible tells him he put his thigh uh, out of joint, what we, what we see here is that the, the flesh has to be subdued until the breaking of the day. Now, that's difficult to hear, but the Bible records it in the book of Genesis for us. And as it was true of Jacob, confidence in his own scheming, his own devising, and yes, his manipulation, it had to come to an end. And God knows that breaking point in our lives. In the midst of a corrupt world, in the midst of a church, an organized church that's full of apostasy, that has departed from the faith, that has moved into doctrines of demons and is teaching and preaching things that are absolutely contrary to the word of God. Beloved, I'm here to tell you, as we cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, and God knows that point of our own brokenness, he said, he promises 
a change of name. To him who overcomes, I will write upon him. Beloved, he is writing upon you and upon me. The name of my God, the name of the city of our God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from God. He said, I'm going to write on you my new name. That's Revelation 3.12. You know what happened to Saul, the unconverted Jew? He's on the road to Damascus. He has orders. Uh, to arrest Christians who were called the way at the very beginning. And on that road to Damascus, Saul had a dramatic conversion. He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, of course, Saul says, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Beloved, you need to understand that when the enemy touches you or touches me he touches the apple of his eye and jesus sees that he's observing this he sees the buffeting that we are enduring he sees these thorns in the flesh that he has allowed by his own grace okay for whatever reason he allows the the messenger of satan to buffet the man or the woman of god not only that god's strength could be made perfect but that he would allow us to walk in humility, that he would allow us to be absolutely dependent upon his grace, his only by his grace, not by our own might or power, but by his spirit, beloved. This is a message coming out of you. This is what people are seeing as the potter takes the clay. And as it says in the Jeremiah 18, it says the vessel that he was making was spoiled in the hand of the potter so he remade it he's reworking us beloved he's making us over into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make now you might think that your life is not that significant i have news for you you are incredibly significant you are absolutely necessary you are a piece of of the puzzle in which the fullness of God is being and will be revealed. Beloved, again, if you would understand, God makes you and he makes me into the image that pleases him. And there's another scripture in Isaiah that says, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, okay? And says to him, what are you doing? Lord, you are a father, we're the clay, you're the potter, and we are the work of your hand. Now, let me read something to you that, again, may seem foreign to you or it may seem like something that doesn't enter your mind. But Romans 9.21 says it. Romans 9.23 says it. Okay, this is what it says. Does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use? Did you get that? Okay. One for honorable use, another one for common use, and it also says a vessel of dishonor. So God is folding, is molding, creating, fashioning, okay? He's doing this according to God's word, Romans 9, 21, 23, that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. Did you know 
that as a part of God's royal priesthood, as the redeemed of the Lord, as the apple of his eye, as the elect of God, that you, in fact, are making known the riches of God's glory upon you who are called a vessel of mercy. Let that sink in for a minute. A vessel of mercy will go through hell on earth sometimes. A vessel of mercy will be subjected to rejection and betrayal. Some of you have been betrayed and rejected by spouses through no fault of your own. God is fashioning you and he is working a compassion and a mercy in you that those of us who are married don't understand. Did you know that? Those of us, for example, who are married, who have walked through the seasons with their spouse, we know that husbands and wives have to do what is best to make the the marriage prosper. They have to keep Jesus at the center of their marriage. They have to die to self. They have to, in honor, prefer, uh, prefer one another. They have to serve their spouse, even if that spouse has been unfaithful and has uh, lost their way and their direction, even if that spouse is not perfect and no spouse is perfect. You see, God reveals his mercy in a marriage that walks through the seasons as much as he reveals it in an individual whose marriage is no longer intact through choices that they never had to make. So, beloved, there are going to be losses that we have to suffer. There are going to be strippings, misunderstandings, sicknesses. There are mental uh, illnesses that, that people endure. There are physical afflictions in our bodies, things we have to endure, difficult people that God has specifically put into our life and said, I'm going to allow this person to come into your life, to be in your life, because you need refining. And I call individuals like that sandpaper because I need to be refined. And all of us need to be refined because what Jesus is doing is he has a new creation, but what he's doing, he's putting the final touches on his bride. Did you know that? And so in that dark night of the soul, in that seemingly impossible circumstance, when it doesn't look like things are going to change, when you don't see that healing yet, when you don't see that promise come to pass yet, we have to remember God is doing a work in you and me, beloved, for eternity because it's not about us, honey. It's not about us husbands and wives and children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters. It's not about us. It's about him making known the riches of his glory through vessels of mercy. Glory to his name. And through our testimony, through your testimony, through the testimonies of our brothers and sisters in Christ, he said it in his word. He said he's prepared this beforehand for his glory, even us who he also called. His likeness, his signature is being revealed in the clay. Beloved, your life is the message. And people can look at you and have conversations with you, ask you and say, how do you do it? How do you do what you do, Brother John? Sister Terry, how is it that you can deliver a message? Beloved, all by the grace of God. 
how is it, brother and sister, that you can endure through incredible times of pain in your body when the doctors don't have an answer? Your faith is there. Something's happening on the inside of you and me, beloved. It's called grace, unmerited favor. All we try to do is cooperate with the Spirit of God as he asks us to do that which seems impossible because we know our own state. We know that we are but dust and clay. He is inscribing upon us. He's changing our name. The Bible tells us in Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will write upon him the name of my God. The Lord is marking you, beloved. He is marking me with his very own signature, his seal. And in biblical days, a signet or a seal was actually literally stamped or inscribed upon things of value. So if precious commodities, for example, were being shipped, and in Bible days, certainly they uh, would use vessels and ships and uh, perhaps uh, camels. I don't know how things were transported, um, but I'm guessing those would be the two ways through ships and, and so on. So if there were valuable items like precious stones or metals or commodities and even clay vessels which contained valuable scrolls or documents, what would happen, the owner would put his seal upon that and he would write upon it. So the seal indicated the name and the owner. And so if you could realize and understand in a vessel of clay, God has placed his own spiritual document, his own uh, eternal scroll, not only within you saying, this is mine, because the Bible tells us that we've been sealed and marked uh, by the Holy Spirit. Literally, he's put his signet or private mark upon you and me. What for? For security and preservation. We read about this in Ezekiel 9, and we can read about it in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4.30. This is the guarantee of the protection of property. The Lord's stamp and seal upon us is his personal guarantee, his signature, his mark upon you and I, which denotes ownership and identity. And brothers and sisters, you are God's possession. You are his workmanship. You are his property. You are a miracle in his hand. In the Old Testament, We talked about the royal priesthood a while ago. The Lord paints a a very clear picture for us about the priesthood in the Old Testament. Again, the Old and New Testament are like two pieces that fit together beautifully. And in Exodus chapter 28, I'm not going to read it now. They're in the handouts. They're in the notes if you want them. I'm just going to comment on them for lack of time. In the Old Testament, the three seals of Aaron's high priestly garments point to a threefold sealing of the royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 5. Okay, the first seal, okay, was upon the breastplate of the, of the high priest. That's Exodus 28, 21 to 22. And what this was is uh, something that went over the chest, all right? It was a breastplate, and the names of the tribes of Israel, okay, which denotes their nature and character. Jacob was created, Israel was formed. So Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, 
there was a corresponding stone uh, placed onto that breastplate. They were actually engraved. The names were actually engraved upon the stones. They were set in gold and placed upon the breastplate that was worn by the high priest. Do you know, beloved, that you are forever on the mind and in the heart of our great high priest? He thinks of you and I continually. He intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. There's not a moment. Now, I know this is difficult for us. I know those of us who are parents, even when our children are out of the home and they're on their own and, you know, they have their own families, we're always thinking about our children, right? We always love them. They're a part of us. Why? Because they came from us. And you, too, have come from him. And it was upon the breastplate. And even in the birth order, okay, of Jacob's sons, okay, the sons, the names of Israel. I actually mentioned this a few years ago in another message, but I want to touch on it now because this is something God is doing in us. There was a birth order of these 12 sons, which actually is revealing the attributes of Jesus and his under the new covenant. Again, it's a portrait, a picture, because the names of the tribes were inscribed on those stones. And in the birth order uh, here, it, let me just comment. There was Reuben, means behold a son. That's a new birth, isn't it? Simeon means hearing. Levi means joined or union. Judah means praise. Dan, righteous judgment. Naphtali, wrestling. Gad means a troop come. Asher means happy or blessed. Issachar means man for hire. Zebulun means habitation. Joseph means Jehovah shall add. And the fourth and the, excuse me, the twelfth and the final son born to Jacob was named Benjamin, son of the right hand. Now, this was on the the breastplate. It speaks to us, beloved about the new birth, about the circumcision of the heart and the change that takes place within us. This is unfolding within us. We're first born again. Then we begin to hear, right, Simeon, Levi, priesthood, right? That's where the priesthood comes from. means joined, union. We're in union with him. And I won't go into a lot of detail here. This is so rich. But this is one of the ways that the Lord was saying, you need to know you are mine. And when that high priest went in to the most holy place, when he went in, <clears throat> these names were etched and inscribed. So the Lord has marked us. Now, another way that that priest was marked, another seal was upon the shoulders, and that was Exodus 28, 11, and 12. So these stones were fastened to a shoulder piece. Okay, think about the shoulder for a minute, all right? The shoulders of the priests bore the ark, and they were supported by poles. And so the shoulder and the arm, okay, remember we're talking about spiritual symbolism here, all right? We're trying to see a picture, trying to paint a picture because this is what God is doing in us. This shoulder and the arm point to God's strength, right? They bore up the ark. They carried the ark, right? It speaks to us of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember, they carried that ark through the Jordan, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which gives us power for service, and it reveals the extension of the authority that is released in and through the priesthood of God. Beloved, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 says, The government will be upon his shoulders, 
and he who overcomes this glorious promise shall sit with him in his throne. Is that not a picture or a portrait of authority that's been given to a royal priesthood? That is amazing. It is beyond my comprehension. But God said it in his word. He put it in his word, and he wants us to believe it and to know there's something great and and wonderful, yes, difficult, and sometimes impossible, that God says, I'm doing something in you. You need to know that this is for an age to come, that we're looking at eternity in view. We have to keep eternity in view. And then finally, that final sealing, uh, that stamp of his approval and his likeness was placed upon the forehead. That's Exodus 28, 36 to 38. A golden plate was attached to a turban. Okay, so the turban sat on the head, and the, um, this uh, golden plate actually was attached to the part that was worn on the forehead, all right? And these words were inscribed upon it, holiness unto the Lord. Did you get that? Holiness unto the Lord. So this third sealing points to a renewed mind, the mind of Christ, and it also points to full stature and maturity of the believer, and it involves, this is, this is the final sealing, okay? It involves a baptism in fire by which gold is refined. What did John the Baptist say? The one who comes after me. He will baptize you in what? In the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we like to hear about, we talk about baptism in water. Praise God. We like to talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. It gives power for service. Thank God for the gifts. Thank God for the anointing. But, beloved, fire is what refines the gold. And there is a, a baptism of fire that every one of God's chosen, his beloved, his bride, his elect, will have to go through. The, the dross and the impurities are coming to the surface now in us. So when we go through things and we experience hardship and trials, we see things come to the surface and we can identify that and say, Jesus, I see that and I repent of that. Forgive me for being angry. Forgive me for being fearful. Forgive me for, for lashing out and judging somebody else when I have no idea what they have been walking through. Forgive me, Lord, for being impatient. Forgive me for trusting my own strength and not in your own wisdom and your glory. So as these things come up with the baptism of fire, beloved, as you see these things come into your life, I know it's grievous for me when I see things. I think, oh, Lord, I still have a long way to go here. I thought I, I, thought I was making progress here, Lord. But you know what? The fact that he is showing us these things, what do we do? Do we allow the accuser to beat us up and to tell us we're not worthy, we're not going to make it, and God can't use us or God's giving up on us? No, we're not going to do that. That's a lie in the name of Jesus. We're going to realize that God in his goodness and his mercy will allow us to see these things, that we can repent of them and turn from them, take up our cross, go outside the camp, and follow him, beloved. He's marking the people that he loves. He's preserving us. He's protecting us. He is allowing the refining fires like the three children in the fiery furnace who were uh, taken in 
to the fiery furnace and what was recorded in the book of Daniel for us. It was said, I see, someone said, I see one, a fourth man, and he looks like the son of man. Beloved, again, that is another Christophany, an appearance, an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the furnace of affliction, in the place where the fire is hot, where it's really hard, two things happen. Number one, our, our bonds are burned off. The things of the flesh are burned off. The Bible tells us that those things were burned off. But it's also a place of increase because what started with three became four. You see, these young men would not bow to that image. And we've talked a lot about the image. And we'll be learning more about the image that's being erected and that which is coming together and that beast system and all that's involved with the image and the mark and the worship of, of another God. And that's coming. And we are never, ever told to pray against these things, beloved. The indignation must run its course. And if we understand that God is making us ready, that he is giving us opportunities to preach that gospel, he's making us ready and giving us opportunities and reminding us to put on the whole armor of God, he's reminding us to be ready for the third day. And I think that's another message perhaps will come next time we're together because I wasn't able to get there. But he is saying be ready for the third day. And so if God gives grace, We'll talk about that. Be ready by watching and praying. Be ready to listen and to hear. Be ready for separation, beloved, because the separations will come and have come and will continue to come. Remember, those who follow the Lamb go outside the camp. And the beloved of the Lord don't want to be around the partying temple crowds. They don't have time for religious games and this stuff that is not causing God's people to grow in the image and the likeness. But now God does give wonderful times of respite. He gives us those times to come together and to edify and to encourage one another. And I pray that something that I said tonight will be encouraging to you, beloved. I pray that something that I shared tonight would help you to see that as you have been faithful, you will collide there is a colliding with betrayal because faithfulness will collide with betrayal that comes from others. But if you understand that the, the Savior that we walk with walked on a very narrow path, and he too bumped heads with the multitudes who are on the wide road. But, beloved, we're going to continue to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we're going to understand that those who come with smooth speeches that tickle the ears, we're going to bump heads and we're going to collide and there are going to be issues. But let me tell you this, even as it was true of Jacob, who desired that birthright, he wanted his full inheritance. And I know that you and I know that's what we want. There will be a colliding with one like Esau who despised his birthright and his inheritance and he was willing to trade it for a mess of pottage. So on that note, I believe that uh, I will conclude now and, and just tell you, beloved, that God has marked you, and we know that the enemy has his mark, which involves the worship of his image and the number of his name. But know how much you are loved 
and understand that in the suffering and in the trial and in the waiting and in the pain, God is writing his very own signature. He is painting his portrait upon you, his piece of clay. God bless you. And thank you, John. And happy Thanksgiving. All right. Um, it appears that we have dropped um, Sister Terry um, just a couple of moments ago. I see that it says that it is dropped. But anyway, thank you all for joining us. I'm looking at 864 Okay, say praise God. All right, so praise God. So um, I have uh, – uh, I just wanted to thank you all for joining us tonight. I don't know what happened when Terry dropped out. I'll, I'll touch bases with her. Thank you all again. God bless you. Tonight is Sunday, November 19th. We will see you this coming Wednesday. Oh, no, no, no. This Wednesday we will defer, and then we will pick up at, uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, Friday night uh, uh, for the prayer vigil. And God bless you all. Thank you all for joining us tonight. And um, we will see you then.
made of in any kingdom that has I shall lift my obedient children to the clouds, for they shall see my glory.